Good morning, I'm Paul, founder of the New PL Institute and host of the New PL Principles and Leadership in Business podcast. Thank you once again for joining us for our latest episode of the New PL. Before we start our deep discussion interview today, just a quick reminder on the new leadership programs, the Transactional to Transformational Leadership Program, and our new Mindset and Momentum Micro Workshops, all of which are focused on helping leaders and employees to build the skill sets needed for the future of business. And you can find the links to both the leadership programs and the micro workshops in the notes that accompany this podcast, or just go to principlesandleadership.com and check them out. This week's guest is the incredible Karen Reed, former captain of the All Blacks, the national rugby team of Aotearoa, New Zealand, as well as former captain of the Crusaders, one of New Zealand's most successful teams in the international super rugby competition. Karen played for the All Blacks from 2008 to 2019 and is one of the most capped rugby players of all time and the fourth most capped All Black in history, having played 127 tests, scoring 26 international tries in the process. He also capped in New Zealand 52 times, which makes him the second most capped All Black captain of all time. Karen was IRB International Rugby Board Player of the Year in 2013 and a key member of New Zealand's 2011 and 2015 Rugby World Cup winning teams. Karen now works as a leadership consultant, as a keynote speaker, delivering the leadership lessons he has learned from his nearly two decades at the top of high-performance rugby. So Karen, a very warm welcome to the new PNL. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. You know, as well, looking forward to it. Thank you. In the, the introduction to our conversation, I outlined your phenomenal sporting career, frankly, and it cumulated with a very successful tenure as All Black captain. And since you've retired from rugby, you've built yourself a very successful career as a leadership consultant and coach and keynote speaker, translating, I guess, the learnings from your success on the rugby field into business. Given the nature of the new PL, that's what I'd like to focus on today. Um, so I'd like to start the conversation by setting some context and understanding how you define leadership. You know, what are the characteristics that should or need to define the modern leader, whether that's in sport or business? Yeah, look, I think it's really hard to define leadership. You know, it's it's an individual thing. And I think it always has to be that way. Um, and so probably that I think if you're thinking about leadership as, as a definition, it's authentic. Um, it is who you are, I think, is the most important thing. Um, and then the tenets of it, I guess, from my perspective now, and what I learned over, over my career and um, and, and things is is that leadership is about leading people. So you've got to have connection. You've got to yeah. be able to build a a true and meaningful connection between yourself as a leader and, and the people that you're leading. Um, and so that's the only true way for you to be a leader um, in their eyes and also from your perspective. So there's so many ways to lead that, um, you know, it comes down to what's going to work best for, for yourself and, and certain situations. But yeah, the other two main things that, that I feel are pretty crucial. You touched on sort of authenticity there and, you know, another phrase that appears a lot in modern leadership is that sort of vulnerable leadership, vulnerability. And whether in business or in sport, they can both be quite machismo orientated. They can be quite groupthink and mm -hmm. quite hard for a leader sometimes to bring them their whole selves to that opportunity or to that role, whether that is in sport or business. What is your advice in terms of how people can bring themselves into an environment that perhaps isn't conducive to that initially? 
Yeah, look, I think um, so. In my environment, I was in the All Blacks and, and professional rugby when I first started it. But, you know, certainly the vulnerability piece wasn't, you know, very high up on the agenda. It was a more a case of the, you know, get on with it and <clears throat> wait your turn and, and yeah. earn the respect on the field type of type of setup. Um, but definitely, by the time I finished, it was it had changed a little bit, and um, you know, I felt my best way to lead was. Um, to establish connections, and I think the best way to establish connections with people is to, to share a bit of vulnerability. And I think it um, has to be started from the top. I don't think anyone in a, in a team's going to um, be trusting enough or, or be comfortable enough to, you know, truly be vulnerable if you know the guys above them aren't. So you know, that's just could be a, a case of asking questions. It could be a case of bringing them in and talking to them about something outside of the the role outside of the job, you know, find out about the kids or, you know, that's what I try try to do with uh, my players. And, um, you know, it's just a, it's a small part and, you know, saying good day every day to them. And um, yeah, it was, was pretty crucial. Um, Another part that I did, um, you know, as captain was, you know, it was your job to, to sit with the guys, the the young guys, you know, they're not going to come up and sit with you at breakfast or dinner. Yeah. You know, it's, it could see me as, you know, a little bit intimidating and things. So, look, my job to go and sit with them and um, ask them about what's going on and, you know, just find something out outside of the, the game. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a crucial part, um, 100%. You need to get that right. I want to touch on that a little bit more because I guess you faced a bit of a a challenge right at the beginning of your all-black captaincy that, that many business leaders face as well. You were the second longest serving all black captain, but by coincidence, you succeeded the, the longest serving all black captain, Richie McCaw, who was like you, hugely respected and naturally a tough act to follow. And this is a challenge that many CEOs and senior leaders face when they succeed a charismatic leader or CEO in business as well. How did you carve out your own leadership style to put your own mark on that team, you know, resetting the tone, so to speak, but at the same time, yeah. ensuring that the best elements of, that culture and approach that had gone before was also carried forward? Yeah, look, it, it is a, a good question. I think, you know, Richie McCaw was undoubtedly probably the greatest captain um, in the world and one of the greatest players in the world for, for such a long time. And, um, you know, I spent my career basically living and training with him for his um, eight years, you know, like, um, so I learned a lot off Richie and, um, you know, his strengths were immense, um, but I'm a slightly different person. And I was probably very fortunate, you know, like he came into the role at 23 or something like that, quite young. And, um, you know, I was 30 when I was named captain and I had a lot of experience. I'd captain the side when he was out for, you know, over 10 tests. And um, so I was fortunate I was in a place where I, I could be myself. I didn't um, go in there um, trying to be someone I wasn't. Um, because I had done that before, like I was na- I was captain the Canterbury team um, when I was 22, um, I think of 21, 22, and uh, I was named captain of Canterbury, which is quite a big club down in down in New Zealand. And I had guys, 30 year olds in the team, and guys who played over 50 games, and really experienced players in the team. And yeah. I tried to be a little bit um, someone I wasn't. You know, I was I was a pretty quiet guy. I like to assess things and, and kind of more have individual conversations. Definitely back then. Um, but I tried to, you know, I had to give big speeches and things and, and tried to do that. Just didn't kind of rub rub off the right way. Yeah. Um, I got some pretty good advice early on that, that 
hey, you've got these guys who are more experienced in the game, utilize them and, and use their strengths. And then I can be the type of leader that I can be, which was more to, to sit back, have individual conversations and push guys that way. Um, so I think I built up a lot of learnings. Um, and then I got to that point where, yeah, I, I, was, I was really keen to be all that captain. And I felt like I'd, um, you know, it was, it was a massive honor, but yeah, I felt like I was ready for it. Yeah. Um, and I knew I had to be myself. And I knew I had to do it my way. Um, you know, certainly take lessons from guys like Richie, who I had played under for a long time. Um, but yeah, it's I got to fill my own boots here. I couldn't couldn't fill his because uh, his was pretty remarkable in what he achieved. So yeah, just um, tried tried to really be um, be as true as I could to myself. And um, we're a different team as well um, yes. compared to the team that he was leading. There's a passage in your book when you describe an All Black match against Munster in 2008, which was the uh, 30th anniversary of the 1978 match when Munster beat yep. the Grand Slam All Blacks, and you describe the moment yes. where. Puri Wipu was subbed off in the 62nd minute and you were told you were now captain. It was only your second cap as a as an all-black and you were now mm. captain for the rest of the match. At that point, the all-blacks were losing, and I guess at risk of repeating that historic loss of 30 years earlier. So there must have been huge pressure on you. So I wanted to understand what, what changed in your mind in that moment when you were told you were captain for the next 10 minutes. How did it reset the way you looked at that 10 minutes of the game in front of you. Were you prepared for it? Did you doubt yourself? Did you think my time has come? This was my hour. What was your first thing you thought, the first decision you made, the first action you took? Yeah, it was, it was to be honest, when I look back on that time, like there's no way I was expecting yeah. to be in that position. And I think the first thing, so the physio ran onto the field and I'd only been on the field for five, 10 minutes myself. I'd come off the bench um, and he said, Kieran, you're, you're captain. And I kind of looked at him. I said, "Mate, you're kidding me." You know, like yeah. there's no way I'm was That was my initial thought. You know, what's going on here? I was not experienced. I, you know, um, but I think, you know, I, at the time I didn't realize um, the importance of what the the coaches were probably trying to do there. Yes. Um, at the time, it was just a case of, okay, I've got to suck this up. As I said, I'd captain Canterbury that year, so I was 22. Um, so maybe there's something to do with that. But um, I think I had a couple of older guys in the team. And so really, I guess for me, it was either kick for goal, I think maybe which you maybe had one or two and or kick to the corner. Um, so a couple of those decisions, other than that, you know, you don't really have to do too much um, on the field. Um, and uh, yeah, it was kind of a bit of a blur. I think Jerry Rocco scored in the corner for us and, we won won the game, and so as you said, if you built it up, like this was a big game for the All Blacks at the point at the time, we hadn't lost to Ireland, and yet we'd <laughs> lost to Munster, this club team, um, and we're potentially going to do it again. Um, so yeah, it was a, a big occasion. I didn't kind of read too much into it. I finished the game, and um, coaches didn't really debrief me about why why they named me captain or anything. Um, but I do know is that you know right from the first time I stepped into the all-black environment. Um, Steve Hansen, um, um, he kind of, he raised me to a different level and held me to a different level, I think, to a lot of the others. He said I was going to be a great all-black and going to be a really great leader of the team. And um, not only saying it, he didn't just tell me and give me confidence that way. He, he gave me opportunities for me to lead, you know, by doing what he did in that game. You know, the next year I was 
leading the line out as a young guy as well from from number eight, which is kind of unheard of in, in the game at yeah. that time. Um, so, yeah, I was given these little opportunities to try and lead and practice this leadership outside of the spotlight, outside of being captain and, and things. Um, so, yeah, it kind of really pushed me in certain ways but gave me confidence. I think that was the biggest thing um, that I grew was my own confidence. I think as a leader, you need to have that confidence to be able to be true to yourself and, and be able to make decisions when they need to be made all built off this kind of um, all this data that you've really just pro, um, yeah. progressed over a number of years and, and if you can just back it and back instincts in the moment then um, you kind of do a pretty good job there whether whether we're in business or in sport a lot of people talk about the optimal environment for performance for a team to uh, to perform at their best and i Given you've been captain of the All Blacks, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions on this. You know, firstly, given your experience, is there ever actually an optimal an optimal team performance? You know, is it possible as a concept? And if it's not, then are we both in business and sport? Are we chasing the wrong thing? And then, secondly, if a team does perform at its optimal peak, if it is possible, what does that do psychologically to the group when they go to perform next time? You know, does it create fear that they will never achieve that? optimal performance again um yeah i think optimal performance you know what does that look like for in rugby terms it's it's very hard like you're never gonna play a perfect game you know you're just never gonna do that i think across my time there's probably a handful of 128 tests and you're going you know on one hand probably the amount of games that we've near the perfect that you can get so that's you know, that's not much, you know, but you're striving for that every week. You're striving to try and put out that performance. Um, I know a lot of those games we're playing pretty well, but in our own minds, we're going, man, there's so much more that we could have given. Um, but, you know, in rugby, there's the opposition that can, um, you know, are trying to stop what you're trying to achieve. Um, so you can't really, con- you can control them to a little bit, um, but you can't really control them in terms of how well they're going to play as well in some aspects um, or the ref or conditions. Um, but there's certainly things you can influence. I think that's where we went to is like, okay, what can you control, can, can control and then what's the influence that you can have. Um, so, yeah, I don't think, you know, you ever got perfect <laughs> or the optimum, yeah, but I certainly we got optimum um, performances against certain opposition that we yeah. felt were, you know, probably um, – you know, as, as well as you could play. Um, and I think in business, when I look at businesses now and, and businesses that I've, that I've seen is that you potentially don't have the opposition that can derail you as much um, and things. Um, and, but there's always something that's got to keep pushing you, you know, like um, for the All Blacks, it wasn't, you know, about outcomes. It, it just can't be about winning or losing. It's just, you know, we're, uh, if, if it was about winning, then we'd get bored, we'd just get stale yeah. and you wouldn't yeah. improve, you know? Like, And it's business is the same thing. If you're just worried about this, hitting this target or hitting that, you get there and then what? You know, it's like, well, it, it doesn't actually mean anything in, until you just keep pushing yourself. So um, I think that's the key is uh, never just resting on what, what you've achieved. It's, it's about continually pushing yourself. Um, um, the other thing I'll say is that yeah, after a big win, so after doing something really well in business, it would be the same. Um, that's when you're at the most dangerous time to have a bad performance or, um, 
get stale or, um, you know, just really kind of just let things slide a little bit. Um, and so, you know, we knew this and so talking about it was pretty important. Um, so I think that's the key is to bring it to the forefront of people's minds um, and then just really hammer home the messaging of what it what it takes to, you know, if you want to be this great thing that we wanted to be in the All Blacks, um, you do it time and time again. You don't just have one good performance and then not show up. So um, it was it was always a it was easy to come off a loss and, and play well the next week. Hard to come off a really good win and, and try yeah, and play well. Yeah, mm. it's funny because when I when I was preparing for this, I I was thinking about the relationship between rugby and business, and I think you'd be hard pressed to find a a sport that had a closer association with business in terms of you know you. You don't know where you're going to be tackled from in rugby. It can hit you from any from any angle. And that's the same in business as an entrepreneur. You, yeah, you get tackled from anywhere. You have to charge forward, knowing that you might be hit and you might be tackled hard at some point. Same as in business. And if you go down or you end up worse, you just got to get up. There's no room for self pity or reflection. You've got to get up and carry on. And then after all of that effort, you might lose a game. You know, and that's the entrepreneurial journey in a nutshell. That kind of win and lose, no yep. matter how hard you try, sometimes. So in addition to those points you've just made, I wonder what what other key skills do you think or experiences that translate from the rugby field and leading the All Blacks to translate into leading business? Where else do you see those that synergy between the experience you have on the field and the experience people have in business? Yeah, well, I think if I look at it, it's probably kind of, um, you know, business at the top end and sport and, and top business. So that's, you know, it's very small margins, as you say. Like it's, yeah. um, you know, it's it's um, so close. There's pretty big consequences sometimes, and what happens, and um, and so that brings pressure. And so under pressure, you, you kind of tend to either yeah make some bad errors or decisions that aren't great. Um, and so working through those parts is is probably something that's that that definitely links in. Um, as a leader's point of view, is being able to keep calm and, and stay in the right mindset and doing that. Um, so that's that part of leadership. But then also I think the, the key things you bring across is the importance of teamwork. Um, you know, so teamwork is about the accountability. It's about honesty. It's about that vulnerability piece that we talked about. All that stuff there is, is as the leader is trying to put that together in, in your team um, and you need to be into into wine you need to have the purpose um you need to have um the why of what you're doing you know really strong um to get that connection um and so that leads to the last piece i think which is the culture piece which um i think businesses maybe don't do quite as well um the connection the belonging um that as a sports team, or especially a national sports team, you know, you could say, oh, it's easy for you guys, you represent your country, um, but you still got to work at it, eh? It's, um, yeah. you know, you can't just turn up and expect things to happen. So um, really building that connection and the belonging through little things, and it can, it might only be little things of, um, you know, for us it could have been a handshake as we walk through the door every morning, you know, we'll see each other at breakfast, a little fist pump or something, you know, like, build connection, um, understanding really who we are, have posters up that just to our past and our legacy. And, um, yeah, so there's a lot of that, a lot of those lessons that I think um, can can transfer over a, into that business world. When you're 
playing a part and building a legacy of something as as huge as the All Blacks, and you know, we we know the book, the James Kerr book, Legacy, as well. And obviously, there's a mm. there's a huge heritage um, with the All Blacks in terms of what has come before and your responsibility when you pull on that jersey. And I guess there's quite a. I was thinking about this again when preparing. There's quite a delicate balance between the desire or the need to ensure that when you're trying to create that legacy, you focus on the legacy for the team, and by virtue of that, you create mm. legacy for players rather than individual players trying to create a legacy and by virtue creating a legacy for the team. And the order of those things matters, you know, it must be team and an individual second, team first, individual second. How was that nuanced approach? How was it managed in the All Blacks? How did you ensure that you created that legacy for the team and by virtue you created legacies for players rather than the other way around? Yeah, I think in rugby in New Zealand it's, um, you know, pretty special in that case is that you don't really nowadays get to the all black level without being a real team first um, yeah. person um, you know super rugby level um, you get found out the coaches talk to everyone around the environment so the all black coaches know of the guys maybe a bit more individualistic or, or you know not aligned to the team so it's very hard to come through and and, and be that way here in New Zealand um, yes. And that's probably who you know. You know what it's like for us as New Zealanders. Like that's we're not someone to jump up and down and, and yeah, yeah, say, "Look yeah. at us, look at me." Um, you know, so it's maybe an advantage as well um, that we have. But um, you also need individuals. You know, like a team. You don't want a team of clones. It's you know, it's no fun. But it's also not going to push anyone. Not going to get any different ideas. So um, you need the individual side of things. Um, so when I first came into All Blacks, yeah, express yourself was kind of one of the main pillars and values that we had. Um, so yes, you've got a framework that you play in, um, you know, that we play in, but within that, you've got to be able to do those special things that the reason you've been picked is to is because you're an outstanding footy player and you can go and do your thing. So, so you know, put that to business and it's like, well, yeah, the reason you're here in this environment because you're, you're brilliant. Um, yes, you've got to work and within the frameworks, but do it your way, you know, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's probably gets the best out of that person. It gets the best out of the business because they're giving more, they feel more connected. Um, and so, yeah, that's pretty crucial. I think, yeah, there's just no way in the All Blacks you could go outside of that team first um, environment. I, I just, yeah, it's a, um, it's just a big part of who we are. It's, it's becoming more challenging um, yes. from you know, across my time and then now with social medias and guys now, but, um, you know, they're more just as focused on their brand outside of the game as what it is potentially um, just playing the game. So, yeah. yeah, there's a challenge for leaders in that environment, which I guess is across the board um, as well. So, um, yeah, it's a big challenge for guys. As the captain of the All Blacks, you had a win rate of 84.6%, which is quite incredible, one of the highest in All Black history. Um, but there were also a couple of really tough defeats, Ireland and Chicago in 2016 in the semi-final World Cup 2019. A leader is often defined by the way they manage those defeats as much as the way they celebrate that success. What what did you say in the in the huddle or in the sheds after losing those games? You know, especially when you were also experiencing what must have been quite an excruciating personal disappointment, particularly with the World Cup. People had worked four years to get there. Mm-hmm. Some were retiring. How did you manage the motivation with the 
with the players and that and the shit after those matches? Yeah, it's um, you know those are some tough times. I think definitely um, twenty nineteen semi final against England was probably you know it was one of the hardest uh, losses I had in my career or was one hundred percent. You know, like because um, yeah, you put in four years. Like for me, it's like as captain, you wanting to go there and um, and try and win a third World Cup, and I'd, yeah. you know <laughs> it was uh, everything going into that. You know, so. Um, you know, there's shock and there's awe and there's all these things that are going through your mind. But then also you got to realise that you are the you are the leader. Everyone's looking at you um, and looking at your response. Um, and so in that time, in that, in that, in that semi-final, um, I got everyone into a huddle on the field who were there and, and said, and genuinely said, look, hey, we're, um, that's not our day today. It doesn't change who we are. Um, it doesn't change, you know, how we need um, should look at ourselves yeah. as a team, um, but I also said is that. But now the the world's watching us. They've watched us win, and um, with respect, they're gonna. The world, well, a lot of the rugby world would want us to to lose badly. I think um, they wanted something to chuck at the All Blacks, and so I just said to them, "Hey, look, we've got to put our hands up high, our heads up high. Sorry, um, you know, let's go and show England the respect they deserve because they're." too good for us today shake the hands and yeah. and just and do it in a good way is kind of what i said um on the field and you kind of in a bit of a state a bit of a bizarre state in that time going through that but yeah it's important for me to to deliver that message um and then kind of in the day in the uh, in the shed and things you get a bit more emotional and you kind of realize the, the enormity of um the end of things um so yeah, it was a it was a, certainly a, a hard few days um, post yeah. that. Yeah, I, I interviewed William Truebridge a few weeks back, who's a multiple yep. um, world champion free diver and world record holder. He's a current world record holder for one hundred and two swimming one hundred and two meters underwater unaided. And like you, he said a really amazing number of things to me in my conversation with him. And one I wanted to touch on today, and he said that free diving is the only sport where you can't take use or harness the the natural adrenaline or nervousness or anxiety you get in advance of a big event because you've got to have total control over your body and yeah. release it before you dive or you limit the, the amount of breath you can take and i wondered from a rugby perspective what mental training or perhaps physical but probably mental training or similar might be essential for preparing for the game but you can't take into it you know is there something that you need to prepare for the game but you can't utilize on the field from a rugby perspective um oh i think you know there's a there's a sweet spot i guess in rugby like rugby is an aggressive game it's physical it's so you do need to have a a point of aggression and a bit of emotion to be able to get yourself to that point um perhaps when you're younger i needed to be a bit more that way so a bit more higher up the level than what i was when i got a bit older i could I didn't have to be so hyped up to, to go out and do it um, because you could back what you'd, you'd done for a long time. Um, but I think in terms of uh, any kind of leader position or any, any position on the field, really, like if you want him to make great decisions, which you have to do on the field, which is, you know, whether you catch and pass, how, how soft your hands are, you know, like going into this ruck or not, um, every there's all these little decisions being made and, yeah. 
you know, if you're too underwhelmed, then you just float through the game too over, then you're going to miss opportunities and things. So there's a pretty, you know, even spot there um, that you need to get. And in Backs, we kind of called it the blue head, which was more um, the part of your brain that makes great decisions. You're clear, you're calm, you're in the moment. Um, and so we tried to be there as much as we could. Um, whereas when you go into the red head, you're a bit more primitive. You're just either kind of fighting or flighting. So you're either getting out of there or you're just being a bit too aggressive. Um, and so that's kind of the language we used over the, a lot of the time I was there. Um, and so I was just getting the right mix for each individual is slightly different. Yeah. Um, for me, I definitely wanted to be as calm and, and clear as I, as I, as I could be um, and not too over aroused. Um, and I think, yeah, this, this all comes down to your mental prep. Um, yeah. The difference in the top level is, is mental. It's not physical. Everyone's got the same uh, fitness, really, the same skills, and everyone can do it, but not everyone can then do it in the 79th minute um, under fatigue, you know. Yeah. Um, so how can you make that great decision when you're gasping for air, you've got nothing left, you're playing at altitude and in uh, Johannesburg or something, and yeah. um, you've got to make this decision on what you're going to do, you know, and get there and be in a position to to make a play or something, um, you know, which I, I think some people do that really well. I pride myself on being that kind of player, you know. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's mental, and so you've got to train that. You can't um, just expect things to happen on on a Saturday. Many many business leaders and CEOs, founders, and so on, they're so heavily defined by their position and the role they hold, often to the point where it's hard to split the person from the position. And as a former All Black captain, and you played at a senior level, whether in the Crusaders or the All Blacks, for nearly two decades, and you with that comes the ceremony and the respect and the pressure and you know, no doubt the criticism as well from that role. How through that period, and, and I guess since as well, since the transition out of rugby, have you defined Karen the man as opposed to Karen the All Black and the successful yeah. rugby player? How have you ensured your role hasn't defined you, if you like? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a hard one because I think, I, I, you know, from the outside, everyone else looking in, I'm still Karen Reed, the former All Black kind of captain, yeah. that stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I purposely, I guess, um, try, I never fully invested as being just a rugby player like I studied I did different things and um, I've got three kids which <clears throat> is a pretty easy thing one who's got kids out there you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for your kids they don't care about anything that you do at work or um, and things so I'm dad to them so yeah. that's a good 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 way to get out and I think that's where I define myself definitely at the moment as a, as a, as a dad and a, a husband and um, that's my that's my most important role right now, um, and in doing a bit of the, this work and stuff that I'm that I'm doing as well, which is which is I really enjoy. Um, you know, so it really pushes me mentally and things as well. So, um, yeah, I, I I think you struggle no matter what coming out of a professional yeah. sports environment. Um, I'm pretty lucky that um, you know I'm in the position I am in, and I can kind of choose and dictate. Um, a little bit of what I'm doing um, but yeah you still miss the structure you've been structured for as you say 15 20 years of yeah. being told to be here do this do that eat eat this um, you know gym here train this all that stuff for so long that 
it's a bit different, you know, than when you come out of it and you've got to make your own decisions yeah, yeah. and do this thing. So um, it can be hard. I know, I know guys struggle, but um, right now I'm, I'm in a good space. And, um, yeah, I know that all black captain, former black captain is going to be there. But, yeah, I try and position myself as much. Oh, not, I enjoy that side of it, but, yeah, try and um, be who I am as well. Yeah. Talk me a little bit more through the the work that you are doing now through the leadership consultancy you've set up, who are you working with? What are you doing? What are you bringing to that, to that conversation? Yeah, look, it's a bit of what we're talking about today, really. It's kind of just passing on some lessons that I've had, and, um, which is kind of around in their high performance space, so whether it's leadership, culture, um, resilience, teamwork stuff. So, yeah, a lot of talks into different areas around New Zealand, councils, um, some businesses, um, yeah, working with some really cool guys. I think it's the great thing is I've been able to open up some conversations with um, some pretty cool people around the world um, yeah. that have kind of helped me. I've learned a lot since I've finished, you know, like um, in, le- in the leadership space, man, I, if I knew what I did now when I was captain in the All Blacks, <laughs> I reckon I'd be a way yeah, better yeah. captain, um, to be honest, you know, I think, but that's, you know, you just learn as, as you yes. get older and, and as you, you've got to continue to improve things. So I still feel like I'm in that space where I love learning and um, improving. So, yeah, I'm doing that, I'm trying to push myself in different ways. Um, and it's still it's still new, so I'm still finding my feet in this um, space. Um, but, yeah, really, really enjoying it. Well, what do you think, one thing above all else, that has profoundly changed the way you view yourself as a result of your all black experience and your professional career how is it above anything else what is one thing that has fundamentally changed your view of yourself um oh, i think probably before well before i like i grew up in south auckland and, and counties went to rosal college it's, you know it's not a rugby school in new zealand most schools have like five six ten rugby teams you know though as, as you know and, but our school had one rugby team and um that was it we weren't you know considered a rugby so i was i never had confidence in myself i was a very shy kid as well um never put my hand up never wanted to you know be in front of people and do this um you know put myself out there um so the one thing I rugby's given me a lot it's definitely given me a lot of stuff but definitely it's kind of given me the ability to be confident in who i am um, and so that's probably, yeah, be confident with who I am. Don't need to change who I am. Um, and, and really in, enjoy being that person. Yeah. It's probably, um, yeah, what I am now and just can be myself, you know, which is, which is pretty cool. But our global listeners, they might not be familiar that before every game, the All Blacks play, we, you do the haka, a Maori wall dance. For me, ever since the eighties, I'm, I'm, Quite a bit older than you, and since the eighties, um, when Buck Shelford and Hicker Reed re-energized the Harker, if you like, for the All Blacks, it, I feel something quite immensely emotional when I watch the All Blacks perform the Harker, and I can't explain what that feeling is, but it lifts me mentally, emotionally, spiritually, as it does for a lot of other people I know. But what did it bring to you as a player? Because all, all I've ever spoken to are people who watch it. I've never spoken to someone who does it, and in that. In that stadium, in that moment, what does it bring to you as a player? Yeah, I think it brings up similar um, emotions that you're talking about. You know, like it, it's uh, it's a very special thing to do. It's 
um, you know, for us, you know, in a quick rundown, I guess, like the haka isn't about intimidation that most people think it is. You know, it's about us grounding ourselves to our ancestors, the, yes. the All Blacks who have gone before us. It's, um, you know, it's us connecting to the to the land of where we are, but it's also connecting to the guys either side of us, you know, like they're the most important people to us in the haka. It's, it's when we do our actions, we're looking there instead of really looking um, forward, you know. So, um, yeah, it's, it's very kind of spiritual kind of thing, journey that you go through doing the haka. Um and um yeah for me it was you know an important part massive honor to be a part of and um you know being at the front of the the niho um a lot of the time as captain and leading it a few times was you know remarkable and you kind of feel the power of, of what it can have um within the team so yeah very special very special to do you talk in your in your book straight eight and and in your leadership literature as well about the importance of leading a life of excellence. I wondered what that meant from your perspective in practical terms, day to day. How do we know where we are leading a life of excellence, or how do we know what to work towards, if you like? Yeah, look, I, I just think you know it's it's an accumulation of of moments. Eh? I think is is excellence. You know, it doesn't just happen. It's it's doing something every day um, and getting better. You know, I say to my kids, it's so funny. It's, um, you know, where every time you take a ball outside and you kick it around outside or you throw a netball at a hoop, um, yep, you should be, A, you should be having fun. That's the most important thing. Yeah. And then B, you're learning something. And so every time you're mucking around, even if you're just mucking around, you're getting better. So every time you, you throw the netball into the hoop you're getting better and you might not think you're getting better but you're building up a few extra pa neural pathways and everything in your, yes. in your um in your body um and so I, I just relate that to anything is that every time you do something there's an opportunity for you to get better at it um and not necessarily have to be done perfectly you know to be honest the you know the things you struggle with is where you get the most learnings and um yeah, we we don't uh, get it all your own way. It's we learn the most. Is um, so yeah, that's um, what I kind of yeah think kind of living that excellence life is. Um, you have to be there all the time, but it's just yeah, it's it's uh, making sure that you can get up, have fun, and and uh, learn constantly. Yeah, and we always ask our guests to leave our listeners with one or two final pieces of wisdom they can take away and use in their in their business tomorrow when it comes to leadership whether it's self-leadership or professional leadership what would they what would those two pieces of advice be from your perspective yeah i, I think um probably go right back to the start of this podcast and i go um really get a you know we can get caught up in all the extra stuff that that's in our lives and, and things so lead yourself, like um, find a way to lead yourself first, whether that's under, getting a true understanding of who you are and be really authentic, but then also give yourself time to um, work on your own, you know, your own self. Yeah. That's your, you know, your sleep, <laughs> nutrition, all that exercise, whatever it is, you know, like um, that's, that's really important um, for everyone, um, but especially leaders who are, you know, have to be in a really good state to, to try and lead their people. Um, so that's that one. And then also um, I think some of the biggest things that we can do as leaders is, is building connection 
um, with our people. So, yeah, um, you know, if you're not great at that, then it can start as just a simple hello or every morning, you know, like whatever it is. Um, and it can build up to getting to know your, them a bit, bit more. But, um, yeah, I think that's, that's another part of leadership that can uh, really grow teams and can grow, um, yeah, more connection to what you are and, and what you're doing, which which always adds to to productivity in the end of the day and um, better performance. So, yeah, probably those two. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you so much for that, Kieran. been a total pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for your time. No worries, mate. It's been very good. Thank you. It was an incredibly inspiring conversation with Kieran. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes of the new PL, I invite you to rate us or review us. It all helps with our ratings and our rankings. And if you'd like to check out Kieran's book, Straight Eight, his autobiography, I've left a link in the notes that accompany this podcast. And you'll also find a link to Kieran's website where you can find out more about the leadership consultancy and programs that he runs. So finally, I'm Paul, host of the new PL. Thank you once again for listening. Have a great day, and I look forward to speaking to you next week.